Good morning. Today's passage is Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant who had entrusted who had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have, had, have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from, the servant, from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ron. What comes to mind when uh, you hear a word that both Mike and Ron used in, uh, when they were up here, the word entrusted? What comes to your mind or what are the feels around that word when somebody says you've been entrusted with something? I'm looking for feedback. Responsibility, Responsibility. okay. Trust. Positive reinforcement, okay. Accountability, absolutely. Entrusted, or I think, is, uh, brings all of those things to my mind as well. And it also, as I was working with this topic this week, it brings to my mind that, that we're talking about something of value and worth, something important. We don't entrust somebody with something of no value, right? We're uh, talking about something important. Uh, in the movie Beaches, which is, I know, dating me, it's like a late 80s chick flick, uh, but it, 
it captures this. There was about two best friends that were growing up, Cece and Hillary, from little girls on up. And uh, yeah, there they are, they were so cute. They grow up, keep friendship, and at one point they do have to deal with the crisis that Hillary has a diagnosis that's gonna take her life. And at that point, she has a daughter and she entrusts her daughter into CeCe's care, and it, of course, changes her life. If you need a tearjerker, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Entrusted is actually the name of our series for all of November. We're gonna be looking at, uh, both in today's passage and others, we'll look at that Jesus communicates God entrusts us with very important things in life. He entrusts us with our treasure, with talent, with time. But today's front runner is treasure, uh, quite literally money that we're, gonna, that we're gonna talk about. Let me ask you this, just get honest. I'm gonna be honest today. Let me ask you if you knew we were gonna talk about money in church today. Would something more pressing have come up in your schedule? <laughs> like cleaning out that junk drawer that's just been bugging you. <laughs> if you are, I get it, I get it. Social scientists uh, say that we all relate to money in kind of one of three ways, and they talk about it using three buckets. And I'm just gonna ask you to see which one resonates with you. There's certainly one that resonates with me, and maybe there'll be even a little bit of, of some of the others, but the first bucket is avoidance. This is where we don't wanna deal with the topic of money at all. We associate it with stress. It uh, makes us just kinda wanna shut down, eyes glaze over, let's get out of here, let's don't talk about that. Funny that I'm speaking on this topic today because at least on some level, this is the one I resonate with. I'd rather just avoid it altogether. Part of that is uh, money was a topic of tension in my home growing up. And even as a child, I, can st I still feel it. Whenever that topic began to surface among my parents, just the anxiety that would grow within me because I knew where this was headed. Uh, bring it up to my own marriage today, money has created its fair share of tension moments in, in our lives. Fred and I kind of vacillate between completely avoiding the topic until we no longer can and then having difficult conversations neither one of us really want to have. Anybody relate to that? I think it's kind of funny that, you know, usually couples, at least a couple, a lot of couples I meet or work with, Somebody in the family is a budgeter and somebody isn't. Well, in our family, nobody is. <laughs> so I don't know, I think God, what? Is that just your sense of humor or what? But um, yeah, I'm just keeping it real today. I want you to know that even pastors struggle with the topic of money. So this isn't coming at you with, hey, you know, we've got it all together and any kind of guilt, it's just, God writes a lot about it in scripture, so we're gonna take a look at it and try to come up with uh, some healthier ways to view our money. For Fred and I, thankfully, we share some core values that we were both raised with, and so when everything else is kind of flapping in the wind, we can come back to that core value. We are both raised with tithing and giving, and so we can come back there, start there, and go out 
from there. So don't worry about us. Don't call Pastor John this afternoon and say, hey, I think you better check on Denise and Fred. We're good. 30 years, we're getting it down, I promise. But it's still not an easy topic for us. The second bucket indicating how we may relate to money is labeled status. And if that's kind of our bucket, the way we uh, deal with money, we may equate money with with value, personal identity, value, and worth. In other words, net worth equals self-worth. And the more we have, the better we feel about ourselves. And if we see money as a status symbol, it can also become a perch where we sit, where we look down on those with less, and we envy those with more. Interestingly, it can be in an inverse where we're not just proud of what we have, we may be actually proud of what we don't have, which is an interesting way of relating to money. It's possible to take pride in having less than everybody else. And we see ourselves as more righteous because we don't have that wealth, that worldly wealth. And in a sense, there's a, a sense that money is somehow dirty or sinful, and we're more righteous the less that we have. But that's really not scriptural. There are many people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that were people of wealth. And just like today, ministry has always been funded with, with giving and with tithing. I, Jesus' ministry was funded by people of wealth. Paul's ministry, the early church. Today, there would be no lights in the building or heat on if we didn't all give. It's, a, it's just a base resource that we have. The last bucket is labeled, uh, that social scientists label, and it's interesting because that's not a, it's not a religious study, they label the third bucket as worship. So we may relate to money uh, in that way, and they say there's a spectrum on that one that on one side of it, we may use money as the source to make ourselves happy. And we think, okay, if I could just have this much, or I can buy this, or I can travel there, or I can make enough to have that house, then I'll be happy and content. On the other side of the spectrum is worship, of money as a thing that will bring us security. That's where we're gonna place our faith. Oh, if I just have this much money, if I make this income, then I won't worry. Then I won't have anxiety. I'll feel safe. The problem with that is that they say that as, even as our income increases, so does what it would take to keep us uh, feeling secure and safe. So it just doesn't it doesn't come together well. Proverbs 23, 4 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. It is not a reliable source for happiness, contentment, or security. I tell my sons, uh, that dollar bill doesn't care a whit about you. And it doesn't. It's an inanimate object. 
Okay, it doesn't care about you. God cares about you. God uh, is the one that we worship, that we find our happiness and we find our security in. Money is never a good source for that. Based on the parable that Ron read and other scriptures, we can learn new ways to relate to money in healthier ways than avoiding status and worship of the wrong thing. And I'm gonna say we can do so by uh, understanding four things. One, that it all belongs to God, that we are entrusted with our resources, that we actually have a direct relationship with God, not money, and that direct relationship that we have with God is based, it influences how we view money, is what I wanna say. And then fourth, we can learn and understand how to invest well the resources we've been entrusted with. So let's look at number one, it all belongs to God. I'm in a Rooted group this fall, and Rooted is a 10-week small group experience here at New, at New Hope. It's our, it's our pathway into community. And it gives us kind of 10 weeks to study the basics of Christianity. It helps us um, develop new and healthier habits and patterns of, of faith. And then it just is a great way to meet and build new community with new people. This week's topic in our Rooted group was money. Now, God is smiling. Maybe even smirking. I don't know. Does your God smirk? My God smirks. He says, you want to avoid this topic? Ha, 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 ha. I'm going to have make sure that you get asked to preach on it, and we're going to talk about it in your rooted class, too. So here we go. I want to read you this paragraph that was in our study from this week. It starts off with Psalm 24.1, and it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He is the source, provider, and creator, and he is the owner and investor who entrusts us with worldly wealth. Understanding that God is the true owner of your money is the first principle of managing it well. We are merely charged to take care of God's possessions. Our role is to wisely manage and invest on God's behalf all the wealth, wealth he gives us. This means we need to treat the money we handle paychecks, gifts, inheritance, wisely, and to use it to accomplish God's purpose. I thought that was so good. In the parable of the three servants, they all three recognized the owner, and it, vernacular changes over the years, and so maybe today we don't relate so much to master and servant as owner, and managers, okay, so that's kind of the vernacular I'm gonna go with today, that there, there's a recognized owner of all things, and then there's the three who are, are chosen and asked to manage. And in this parable, they all three acknowledge that there's an owner of the five bags, the two bag, and the one bag that has been uh, given to them. And that next thing that we need to have a healthy perspective on money it's to understand not only does God own it all, number two, he entrusts us with the money that we have. Servant number one was entrusted with five bags of silver, servant number two with two bags of silver, and the third servant or the third manager with one bag. And Jesus says, the owner divided up the money in proportion to their abilities. 
I don't know about you, but I take comfort in that because what it is saying is, okay, the owner absolutely knew the three people, the three managers he was giving this, the funds to, the resources. And he didn't want to overwhelm the second service servant with what the five uh, bag of silver servant could handle, okay? So he gives, because he knows this person's gifted, he's gonna give five. And this person's gifted in a different way, he'll give two. This person is differently gifted, he's gonna give one bag of silver. And it is to bless and to encourage and to uh, give them what they can handle in that moment. And that's, it gets a little sticky with, with parables sometimes because there's a point being made, but you can't take it and apply it to everything, okay? It's not saying that there are some people who are poor in the world and it's because God didn't trust them with enough finances, okay? So don't go there with that. Don't think, oh, I've got this much money because I am so trustworthy. Well, maybe not. So just let's just keep that in, in mind. So, but uh, yeah, the owner knew how to set his servants up, his managers up for success. John often says to, to Mike and I, let's make sure we set this person up for success. Whether it's a new employee, whether it's a guest speaker, whether it's a key volunteer, let's set this person up for success. Now, we can't succeed for them, but we can make sure they have the resources that they need to succeed. That's what I see this, this owner doing here. And sometimes we personally don't always do that well, but God always does that well. God puts in our life, makes sure that in us, in our, where we are, we're gonna have the resources we need to do with what he's gonna ask us to do. So after entrusting all this money to these managers, the owner of it all leaves them to it and goes off on a long trip. And the first servant, it says, begins to invest the money, and over time, he earns five more bags of silver. In that, I don't want you to miss that little tiny word begin or began. He simply began. He began to, um, to serve, to give, to invest, and to multiply good things in God's kingdom. And sometimes it's just it's that first step in anything new in life that's hardest. And so we can just, just begin. In our rooted material this week, it said, if you have never practiced giving, just start with 1%. Just start, just begin somewhere. Maybe for those of you, if you've given 10% your whole, in life, whole entire life, maybe God's gonna tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, what about just bumping that up to 11% to give? We Christians think that we've got this whole thing down. Oh, we're just asked to give 10%. It's based on an Old Testament principle. And uh, we go with that. But in reality, if you go back and study the Old Testament, 10% was a floor. It wasn't a ceiling. And if you add, if you look at all the other things, you know, they talk about tithes and offering and gifts. And in a typical Jewish family, it would add up to about 30%. No legalism there, just telling you the scripturally, that's, it's closer to 30% that uh, they were asked to give in the Old Testament than 10%. The servant, second servant with two bags of silver, he went to work. So the first guy invests, he seems to have a gift 
for investment and making money. And I love that. I think that that is a spiritual, can be a spiritual gift. You meet people and you just can see it already. They're entrepreneurs. They're gifted with making money. And that's their deal. That's their responsibility, what they're going to do with all that money that they're capable of, of making and what they're called to do. That's, that's their thing. The second servant, it says in the NLT that he went to work with what he was giving and earned two more. So that's a great way to have resources too. We just go to work. We go to work with the resources God's given us, maybe our education, our skill set, our opportunities, and we work and have an income that way. We build uh, reserves in that way by working, investing, working. There's a sense with these first two that they just began. They began to use it well. They began to invest it. They began to work with what was given to them. After a long time, oh, and then the third servant, you know, there's a very short sentence for him. He dug a hole in the ground. He put the one bag of silver in it. He threw the dirt over it. And end of story. Until it wasn't. After a long time, the owner returns. In other parables that Jesus tells, similar ones where there's an owner, whether it's a property, a vineyard, or money, that, uh, and then goes away. He's gone so long that sometimes the managers in the parable start to think he's never coming back. And they begin to do evil with the resources rather than good. But here's what we need to remember, that in every single parable Jesus tells, the owner comes back. And there's always an accounting to what was done with what they were entrusted with. The first step toward, um, oh, the first servant steps forward. I want, there's a little nuance of language here that I want you to pay attention to. The first it says, the first came forward. So the, the owner comes back, he calls the three together, and the first servant stepped right up to the plate. And he says, master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. And the owner replies, hey, well done, good job, you've been faithful, and uh, let's celebrate. I'm not only thrilled with what you've done, I'm gonna give you much more because you've been so faithful. Let's celebrate. The second, again, the language says, he came forward and he said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. Same response, now I want you to note, the first manager gave back 10 bags of silver. The second gave back four bags of silver. So big difference there, but same response from the owner, good job. Way to go, you did great with what you're entrusted with. And because you did so well, I wanna to celebrate together with you and I'm gonna give you much more to be responsible with. The language is different with how those first two come to the master. It says they came forward, they stepped forward. With the last servant, it just says he just came. There's a sense that the first two were eager to meet the owner. They were ready, they were excited about what they had done with the resources they had been entrusted with. There's a sense with the last servant that he came reluctantly. 
Different translations use different phrases, different words, but the agreement is Jesus is setting up a contrast here between the two who were eager to come upon the owner's return and the one who was not eager at all. And that leads us to the third point this morning. We relate to money in healthier ways if we understand that it is our relationship with God that determines our view of money. Because when the third manager came, whether he came reluctantly or not, he certainly came with excuses and accusations. He came, it wasn't about the money. He came and said, I see you, owner, as harsh and harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. So in other words, he accuses the owner of being unfair and being a man who benefited from the work of others that he didn't do. And so he goes on after he tells him how he views him, then he says, I was afraid I would lose your money. So I just hid it in the ground. Here it is, I can give it back to you. In the parable, this third manager sees God in the, or sees the owner sometimes in the way that we see God, okay? There's a different view. He sees, he sees God as it in very differently than the first two did. He sees him as harsh. We sometimes see God as harsh and unfair and punishing. My point is this morning, if we, if we see God as good, as generous, as the God who seeks human flourishing and invites us to be part of that, then we're going to be excited to meet with him. We're going to be excited to say, well, this is so fun. Look what you know, I've done with what you've given me. And I'm excited to talk with you about it and see what we can do next. Those first two servants, those first two managers were willing and they were brave and they were expectant that they could actually do good things with their resources. The third person functions out of fear, believing the owner to be something different than the first two believed him to be. I'm not going to offer that. I don't want to offer that in a judgmental way this morning. I've shared from the pulpit before. I've struggled with that image of God because I had a harsh dad. And so, it, it, and that's not a blame. My dad had every reason to be as messed up as he was. He just, right, he just did. I, I, I have no ill against him for that. But it was what I grew up with. And so it's been hard to see God differently. So I want to be sensitive to that, that that's a growth area for us, but we're invited in to grow in that. To move from seeing God as, as harsh and stingy and punishing to seeing God as generous and wanting our flourishing and inviting us to actually partner with him in this world to help others flourish. Jesus, so that said, um, let's move on. Jesus reveals another stark contrast in the parable now, and it's gonna be between He's compared the first two managers with the third, and now he's going to compare the owner's response to the first two with the third. And I want to look at the, the message to read this response. 
The master uh, was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I could have gotten a little interest. So, and he turned to the other people and said, take the thousand away from this person and give it to the one who has risked the most and get rid of this, play it safe, won't go out on a limb and throw him into outer darkness. In other translations, in fact, the one that we read this morning, the New Living, the owner sees through the man's claim of being afraid and he calls him out and says, you're lazy and you're wicked. He'd been entrusted with resources that weren't his. He was gifted this, he was given this, and he did not do one good thing with it. He just dropped it in a hole and forgot about it. Let me ask you today, what would equate with burying our treasure? What comes to mind? How, would, how could we, how might we, rather than investing, just bury what we've been entrusted with? Any thoughts? You don't trust. Okay, lack of trust. Gotcha. Others? Ignore. Okay, excellent. We're not in tune. Maybe we're not listening to what we're being instructed to do. Yeah, very good. Reject. Okay, just, yeah, I don't want it. Just hide it. Okay. Fear, okay, causes us, at least that's what this third manager tried to say, that it was fear that prevented him for it. He, was, he certainly seemed useless in his dealing. He was useless in his dealing with what was entrusted. I'm not gonna call him useless, but I'm gonna call the, uh, what he did was useless with his, with his resources, gotcha. Uh, anything else? Here's what, here's, well, actually, somebody else gave me one when they were leaving from the first service. He said, another way I see us bearing our, our, what we've been trusted with is not doing the best as far as studying just even a little bit of how to invest our funds in places where it earns interest. And I thought, oh, that's good. He said, you know, just, just not doing a little bit of research for it. And I thought that it ties in with the parable because the owner in this parable indicates he would have accepted any effort, any effort at all he would have been pleased with. And that's how I experience God, you guys. That God, he requires, you know, even when I just give him a little bit, he celebrates and he's so pleased. He says, thank you. Now let's, let's, good job. Let me help you grow a little bit more in this. He's just, He's not gonna accept absolutely no effort whatsoever, okay? He says, why could you have just done this little bit? And so that's what I think we're asked to do. Can we just learn how to, to give something? Sometimes, and I know this is not kosher all the time in church anymore, but sometimes we need to be called out. And say, God, what would you say to me as a manager of the resources that you've given me. For me, I already told you my call out. My call out this week has been you're avoiding this topic. And it's not helpful, right? It's not helpful. 
So what might God call each of us out on sometimes? Wasting our money on too many streaming services? Wasting on too much entertainment, too much, I don't know, whatever. It's just an invitation to partner with God in a better way and to get a healthier view on money. I'm not, uh, as we, if you haven't picked up on this already, I'm not a detailed budgeter, okay? And I know that some of you out there are so good at that and you are cringing in your seats. But I'm gonna start basic with this this morning because I think that everybody can do this. Experienced budgeters, and maybe if you've never budgeted at all, start basic with a three-category budget. I've been given this much, and scripture indicates I need to give some, I need to save some, and then I have this money to spend on the care of me and my family. Okay, so rule of thumb, budget, give 10%, save 10%, and then you have that 80%. I am gonna tell you, though, that God's the owner of the 80% too. <laughs> it's not like, okay, here's yours, I'm, I'm good with what I wanna do with the 80. No, we need to keep that, that flow of, like somebody said, listening to what the instructions that God would give us about our finances are. Let me say this about tithing. This is really isn't a, man, uh, a message on tithing. It's a, man, it's a message really on just a healthier view of, of money overall. But here's the thing, tithing can be an incredibly faith-building experience. In every uh, financial class I've ever taken, including this week in Rooted class, this verse is always a favorite. And I think as it's powerful, and it is also, Gary and somebody in our rooted group this week said, this is the only place in scripture you will find where God says, test me. Okay, so this is a favorite verse, Malachi 3, where God is speaking. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the window of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, God was speaking to Israel, who had been cheating, really, God, of, of the income that was due back to him to help take care of the nation. Okay, so this is a promise to a nation. It's not necessarily a promise to an individual. And it's not a prosperity gospel type of, of passage. It's just, just God saying, you be faithful with what you have. I'm gonna be so much more faithful. You can't even handle it. And that's how I see God as well. When we give him a little, he always pours out so much more. Lastly, we develop a healthier view of money by understanding what it means to invest well in God's kingdom, in kingdom work. When the Lord of heaven and earth, the owner of all that is, entrusts us with money, with property and resources, there is an expectation that we're gonna use it for good purposes in our world, no matter how much or how little we have. So I'm gonna keep it simple again and say that, that broadly scripture says we are responsible for three things with what we've been entrusted with care for our families, care for the body of Christ, and care for the vulnerable. I'm gonna just look at one verse under each of those topics just to keep uh, our time 
this morning, but I'm gonna just tell you, go home. You wanna dig in a little bit? Go home and see just how many verses are under all these topics because Jesus spoke about money more than any other topic, uh, whether love, prayer, faith. He talked about money more because he knew how key it was to the way that we related to him and the way we relate to others. Care for families. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We are to care for our families. Care for the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 is such a rich chapter. Paul is taking up a collection for the church at Jerusalem and he says this to the other churches where he is collecting from them for the body of Christ. He writes, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That's a gift of the spirit. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. We are called to care for the body of Christ. And then third and finally, care for the vulnerable. There are more verses in scripture on caring for the vulnerable than uh, we have time to cover all day here today. So let me give you just the words in Matthew 25 because they come, they're words of Jesus and they come right after the parable of the three servants. Jesus says this, at the, and this is about um, the end of time. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? When did we see you naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it unto me. What we do with money, how we see it, how we respond with it, has enormous potential to do good in our world, to do good in our own lives and around the globe. It also has the potential instead to destroy lives. If we have an unhealthy connection and relationship to money, it can destroy our lives and the lives of many others. Unfortunately, my husband and I had friends back in 2008 when the, when the economic crisis hit hard and they lost all their money and the husband committed suicide as a result of his trust and his faith being in a place other than relationship with God only. 
So encourage all of us to build and grow in our respect and our, our response to the way that we view money with these three, four principles. Understand that it all belongs to God. Understand that what we have, we've been entrusted with. Understand that it is our relationship with God that determines how we view money and then develop an understanding of what it means to invest well in the kingdom. A couple of ways we can take this sermon and pull it from a head lesson to a heart lesson in practical ways in our everyday life, let me just give you two. One, think about, if you don't budget at all, if you're, not, if you're a little bit like me and avoid money, at least do three topics. Just sit down with your spouse or sit down with a friend and say, out of my resources, I'm gonna give this, I'm gonna save this, I'm gonna spend this money wisely caring for family, body of Christ, and the vulnerable. It's just one way to start. And again, if you're not giving anything outside of uh, your, own, your own family, start with 1%. Start with 2%, just start. So pull it from a head lesson into practicality. If you've given for 10% your whole entire life, maybe give above and beyond. That's one way to pull it in. Here's something different. Pull this lesson into practicality by getting face-to-face -face and engaged with vulnerable people. When we get engaged face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with somebody who's vulnerable, it opens our heart to compassion and it opens our hand to give. You heard Mike mention earlier that one of our Advent recipients this year will be Clackamas Service Center. And every week we have volunteers who not, so we, New Hope Gifts, okay, they're our partner, which when we say somebody's our partner, it means that they receive monthly finances from us. So if you give, if you believe in the mission of New Hope and you give to New Hope, a portion of what you're giving is going to support Clackamas Service Center, okay? But that can be a bit removed. And I'm not saying this is the only option, but there's get face to face with vulnerable people because it will open your heart of compassion and your hand to give. Last week we were down there every Sunday we have anywhere between, that's a terrible Sunday if we only have three, but we have three to 10 volunteers down there getting face to face. I was out on the step uh, greeting our guests as they were coming in. And if you have not been down to Clackamas Service Center, it's it's a long street that leads to it off of, um, is that 82nd, Emily? 82nd. And it's a long street, and I'm standing out on the steps, and I'm seeing this guy, and he is walking fast. I can tell he's probably homeless. He's carrying bags with him, and he is booking it down that road. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's because it's kind of cold out. But when he uh, hit the gate, as soon as he hit the gate, he said, are you still open? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, I'm so glad I can come in and get a meal. And how? Just to see on a human being's face that they were so grateful to be able to eat a meal that day, boy, opens my heart to compassion. And when I think sometimes, oh man, I really could use this money for something different, encounters with the vulnerable keep my hand open to give in ways that will bless others. Let's pray. Let me, God, you are a generous God. And I pray for anyone in 
this room this morning who's just not experienced you that way, that you would open hearts and, and minds to trust that that is who you are, that you are a good God, a generous God, a God who wants our flourishing as well as our world. And so in whatever way we can, I'm gonna pray this group for all of us, in whatever way we can this morning, Jesus, we just wanna recommit to a healthier perspective on money and that we would commit to being uh, faithful servants with what you have entrusted us with. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, the way you take us by the hand and lead us into areas of growth. We need it. We just need it. We want it. We invite you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.